You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So excited for a Monday night football doubleheader with playoff teams abound. What we didn't know is that we would get two blowouts, and those two blowouts give us two very distinct questions. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Each game has presented one important question. We're about to try to answer them both. First and foremost, let's start with the Eagles and the Vikings. The Eagles get a 24-7 win, and in that process, the question is, did the Eagles just show us they're not only an NFC East champ contender, but maybe a Super Bowl contender? Sarah, it was a huge night for Jalen Hurts. It was a huge night for the Eagles' offense in the first half, and the Eagles' defense in the second half said, we don't really care about all your weapons. We got this, and shut down the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, Fitz, this was the question for the offseason. Looking at this Eagles roster and saying, wow, top to bottom, this is a tremendously well-constructed team, not to mention the things that they addressed in the offseason included a couple of defensive players that were going to allow them to play a style that's more fitting with what the coach wants. More aggressive, less passive, more attacking, looking for more takeaways. You get them when you add a Jordan Davis. You get that when you add a Hassan Riddick. So the defense, we saw, Darius Slay in particular, going off, right? And then we see this incredible, incredible Jalen Hurts, like as efficient he as possible. He settled the debate last per, night. He- particularly in the first, he did settle the debate. We'll get to you in a second, Sal. Um, <laughs> just in the first, particularly as efficient as he was. But it fits for him to see such a completely different defensive look this week than last. We've seen him be able to handle both with precision. And I am really enthusiastic about the Eagles if this is who Jalen Hurts is this year because that was the big question was is he good enough not even great but is he good enough and now he's up to third in Vegas for MVP odds I mean he took a step I've said since we started working together that like one of the pillars I believe is when you have a young quarterback you have an obligation to surround that young quarterback with as much talent as possible to figure out as quickly as possible if you've got the guy. And not everybody can do that as easily or as well. Bears. Uh, uh, I wasn't going to say it. You know, it's too <laughs> early. Uh, but the Eagles have done that. And you could see that in their offense. But you can see such control right now from Jalen Hurts, not just in the 26 of 31 for 333 in the game, but just the control that he has with the way that he's approaching everything offensively. It looks easy for him right now. And I expected that, frankly, to be the case for the Vikings. You know I have high expectations for Minnesota and I watched that game last night thinking I don't care if Kirk Cousins has a bad game how do you not get Justin Jefferson involved Mm -hmm. how does Dalvin Cook look that pedestrian I mean the the Vikings put on a clinic of what not to do while they got their butts just thoroughly whooped well I mean a lot of that has to go back to the defense of the Eagles which is fantastic and particularly as I mentioned Darius Slay Darius Slay had more catches on balls targeted at Justin Jefferson where he was the closest receiver than Justin Jefferson did catches. Mm. That is not great as a defensive player. (laughs) His two picks were more than Jefferson's one catch when he was the primary defender. He just absolutely shut him down. And as I tweeted last night, and it's dismissive, but, you know, prove me wrong, I said, phew, I was a little worried after last week. I might have to change my Kirk Cousins takes. I don't have to. He's still that guy. And it was it was ugly, really ugly. I'm disappointed because I thought this this was going to be a really good game, and I was excited to see the back and forth. 
I just think we saw once again there there's quite a ceiling on on Cousins and the the Eagles very smartly figured out how to defend, how to make the picture look different, as they say, and it absolutely flummoxed him, and he made so many mistakes. Well, then, I, I mean, for me, the answer to the, the question is clearly the Eagles have uh, are a Super Bowl contender. I mean, in a wide-open yes. NFC, the, I think the answer is clearly why not them. But that wasn't the only result that had us sort of wondering about an outcome and what it means because the Bills absolutely thump the Titans. And the question is, are the Bills really just extending the gap between where they are and where the rest of the AFC lies? Well, and, and Sarah, I, if you'd have given me any, I, I, I thought the Bills would win in a runaway. I never thought I would look up in the third quarter and see both teams playing their backup quarterbacks. <laughs> That's how ugly it got. Like, it wasn't just a win. That was just a full-on ass-kicking. Like, there's just no other way to say that. Yeah, I, uh, I said the Bills have rested their case. Get it? <laughs> Case Keenum. Um, also, uh, kind of unfortunate, the enthusiasm that we saw for uh, for Malik Willis from some of the fans tweeting, all right, like, let's see him, let's see him rip. <laughs> One for four, six yards and a fumble. So maybe not quite, maybe put him back, let him bake a little longer before we go to Malik Willis. Um, it was horrific. It was so bad. Um, your bet on Stefan Diggs proved to be a good one. He continues his dominance on Monday nights. Josh Allen only ran once, I think, in this game, showing us that he doesn't have to stiff arm dudes, put his body at risk, and run around for them to get a win. They do just fine with him throwing the ball all around the field. The defense, which I said after week one, I said I haven't given up on the Rams after that beatdown because I think this defense is going to make a lot of teams look stupid. They did it again. And that defense is just adding insult to injury when you already have an offense as powerful and a quarterback as good as Josh Allen. I think, I mean... Derrick Henry had 25 yards on 13 carries. Mm. It, it was mm. just ugly. And, you know, we, we're going to talk to Bill Barnwell, and I think he's going to have the same answer that he has prompted me to have this year, which is that he always every year says, what are five you know successful teams that are most likely to drop off? And last season, every statistic, every metric told him it was the Titans. And then they went six and two in single score game in um, uh, one score games. They, they um, did better in takeaways than expected. It didn't drop off as much. He's using all those same metrics to say, okay, this is the year. And I really do believe that we're now looking at a Titans team that midway through the season, as bad as this uh, division is, if they are out of it and they can't still look for a seven win division championship then they got to start looking ahead and figure out who we are who do we need who do we trade how are we rebuilding um it's just a matter of how bad that division is whether they make that decision now or later yeah the the craziest thing to me about the titans is that whoever they are this year is squarely their own fault because Mm -hmm. we watched aj brown just go off we've watched aj brown week after week look special and you see what it does to the rest of an offense and now you see what the lack of that receiver means for the titans uh, you, you have one thing you have to worry about and that's derrick henry and that's it when you're facing this titans team and with the uh, injury according to a to z sports down in nashville it looks like taylor lawan may be lost for the season this thing could get ugly quickly for the titans the only benefit they have is that the rest of their division looks like it's also hot garbage like are we going to be sitting here talking about the jags suddenly uh, being the, the division i can't even believe i said that i can't finish the phrase Ooh, I, I, I can't do it baby. i just can't oh, do it baby. but i do think that to answer our question the bills every time they get on the field right now it just looks 
Easy. And I know the Chiefs are right there saying, hey, what about us? But for me, there's a large gap between the greatness of what we're seeing in Buffalo after two games versus anybody else. I, I hope it becomes a challenge because that's a more fun story. But I feel like the, the Bills are clearly not just the best team in the AFC. I think they're clearly the best team in the NFL, and they can put their feet up and relax a second. They got that. I agree. I, I think this was – both of us had the Bills in the Super Bowl before the season started, and I think they are – a bit extending the lead for the best team, although I still got to think about the Chiefs a little bit. I want to see. I want to see Bills Chiefs. I've never heard of them. I hear they're a good football team. We should check them out sometimes. Be a fart. A fart. Good God. Be a part. I'm going full Orlovsky on this thing. Just, oh, whew. no. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, ESPN Nations, presented by Dr. Pepper. And in college football season without delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. There are a bunch of winless teams in the NFL. We'll tell you if they need to panic or practice patience next Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio and the ESPN app Spain and Fitz the podcast Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio the ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 Sarah Spain Jason Fitz represented by progressive insurance you know what sometimes you have to practice a little bit of patience sometimes you want to panic uh Sarah I don't know if you caught this Orlovsky moment last night but uh you know there's been been a little bit of a little bit of a controversy over here. It, it raises a, a very important question. If you were, because you are a total professional, if you were to have an Orlovsky moment on, on air mm-hmm. where perhaps maybe you let a little toot out, uh, you, you're going to practice patience with that and just go, or mm-hmm. are you going to panic? What, what, what's well, that's be- interesting. Uh, I would not be patient. I would panic and do what he did where I think he tried to cough sneeze to cover it, but he did it too early. So instead it went fake cough, sneeze, then fart, both of which were audible, which actually brings us even more uh, clearly into this segment, which is about going 0-2, which is what I believe Orlovsky did in that couple seconds right there. 0 for 2. Oh, I can't. Do, do, Evan, Devin, do we have this here for the world to hear in case anybody? Yeah. There we, <laughs> that ain't it. What, your gaffe? That yeah. ain't it. Uh, but yeah, speaking of, you're the one who just said, be a fart. We're, we're yeah. going to have it. I'm working on it right now. for the. For we'll hear it at the end of the segment, everybody. Oh, perfect. We'll put them together. It'll be radio magic. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to believe that Dan was just uh, because Dan doesn't cuss. I'm going to believe that Dan sneezed and then was just like, ah, and he went uh, and he made a mouth noise. That's what I think happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I'm still doing every time I turn on a TV. Like there's a, a, a moment here where I'm trying to figure out panic or patience when it comes uh, to my beloved Raiders. And what we're going to do now is we're going to go through the winless teams because there are a couple of ties out there. Remember, and Sarah, you have a great stat, uh, a great to some, but not to me, mm-hmm. about uh, what teams have done since 2019 when they yeah. start 0-2. Yes, yeah, since the start of the 2019 season, 27 teams have started their season 0-2, and not a single one has made the postseason. Well, that no time like this year to make uh, mm-hmm. make history. That's the ultimate answer mm-hmm. here. Uh, because every time I go near a TV right now, it feels like teams are they're, they're still playing the, the highlights over and over and over again. So we're going to look at some of the winless teams and figure out uh, whether or not there's need for panic or patience. And we'll start, Sarah, with my beloved Raiders. I said this yesterday. Uh, the more I've looked at it and gone back, watched part of the game again, because that's my job, and I want to make sure that I know what actually happened. Uh, I, I feel like there's a reason for patience, but there's not a lot of patience. Like the the Raiders now go to Nashville where they will take on the Titans with a short week. The Titans beat up in the offensive line, as we mentioned earlier. Titans don't have a particularly dynamic quarterback like they've faced in the first two weeks. 
this becomes the closest thing that I can ever remember to a week three must win. I know we hate that phrase on this show, but the Raiders season doesn't feel like it kickstarts unless they get a win. So I have patience, but I also have patience with an understanding that that, that goes away by Sunday at 2.30 or 3 in the afternoon if it's not going well. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem for the Raiders, and it's something that we're going to talk about across that entire division, is that you got to feast on the teams that aren't your division rivals because there's so much good football to be played uh, right within that division. So if you aren't getting a win against, you know, the ones that you need to beat, like the Titans or the, or, uh, the Texans, then you're in big trouble, at least in the case of the Raiders. And the reason why I do think patience is the answer and not panic is because it's the Chargers and Cardinals. Now, they should have beaten the Cardinals. They had that game and they let it go. But those are two pretty good teams. I, I think also, you look ahead to the other teams that they should win, and if they don't, they're putting themselves in real trouble. I also have some level of patience when it comes to the Bengals, and I know that the Bengals just mm-hmm. lost to the Cowboys, but I think, you know, which is an inexcusable loss. There's no doubt about it. And if you're the Bengals, you turn the ball over five times week one and you lose in overtime. It feels like right now everything's going wrong, but they do have the Jets – uh, coming up, then the Dolphins, Ravens, Saints, Falcons, they have a little opportunity here to get some runway to be a pretty good football team. So I think given the fact that we've seen great offense from Burrow and we know that offense early in the season can help you, I, I still have some level of patience for them. I agree. I think the reason that people are panicking a bit about the Bengals is because of how it looks. So not just the record, but what they've seen. I think that Burrow, particularly week one, we saw the effects of not having time in camp and in preseason because of obviously not taking a lot of reps like so many other players, but also the appendicitis that kept him out. I think there was a rhythm issue there. It was timing. He just looked rusty, and they still almost won that game despite five turnovers. I'm not super worried about him when it comes to turnovers like that, but I am worried about the sacks, and I'm worried about a complete and utter lack of creativity offensively to react to those sacks, to change the look that they're showing teams. I told you this stat yesterday, but you know we kind of thought that that David Carr getting sacked 101 times in his first 32 games was the kind of record that might never be broken. Joe Burrow's at 115 through 32 mm. games. Uh, whatever's his fault, whatever's the O-line's fault, whatever's the play caller's fault, that's what I'm panicking about more so than the record. Yeah, I agree with you totally. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're, we're practicing a little panic or patience here. Uh, we've had patience for the first two. I have no patience for the Titans. Uh, I mean, mm. we just talked about it in the last segment. Uh, the Titans' offense is predictable. It's dull. Uh, I, I don't necessarily love their offensive coordinator, never have. Uh, I don't love their accumulation of talent. And, you know, I think you also have to look at, at the Titans and, and who they are and who they're trying to be. Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst, said this on NFL Live about the Titans. They can't be who they want to be. They, they don't have their identity. They can't have their identity, right? If I asked you, who are the Tennessee Titans, you'd be like, physical, smash mouth football, grind out game. They can't be that right now, partly because of departures, partly because of injuries. Their left tackle, Taylor Lewan, goes out. So in that game last night, you're looking at a backup left tackle. Roger Saffold's on the other sideline, so a new left guard. Your right tackle is a rookie from Ohio State. So three out of your five offensive linemen that were part of that unit last year, they're not there anymore. Right. You know, A.J. Brown, not there anymore. And even defensively, Harold Landry, who's their up-and-coming star defensive end, because they really want to be that what on defense? Four-man rush, rush. play coverage in front. So that's their identity, 
but they cannot be that given the people that they have right now. Yeah, the only problem with that, Sarah, like I said earlier, is that they own their own accountability for who they are right now. They chose not to give A.J. Mm -hmm. Brown a big contract. And, you know, obviously injury has been part of it, too. But uh, they went after everybody with the great front four last year that really masked a secondary that needed to develop. Now they don't have as much pass rush. I, I, I mean, all of these things that are being exposed comes down at some level to roster construction. And I think if John Robinson, their GM, was the GM in a place that had more of a magnifying glass on every single move uh, that they do, they would be a, there would be a lot more pressure on him right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think they couldn't have planned ahead for Harold Landry and that injury. That's That, that was huge for them. That, that was maybe going to be a pretty good pass rush, and that's tough on the corners to lose Landry, too. The defense does look different without him, and I don't know if it was too late to address that when he went down. Um, so I, I'm not going to hold that one against them as much. But I agree. Why are you trading A.J. Brown? That's Tannehill's top target. That's the guy that offsets what you want to do with Derrick Henry. Um, I also think that... I've been defensive of, of Ryan Tannehill when others have been out on him, but but I've done it in the sense of fitting into the larger scheme there and being good and getting it done when everything goes right. The problem is he's not that good if the rest of the pieces aren't in place, and that's what we're seeing now from this Titans team. So, yeah, no, no patience, all panic. The only thing that keeps you not panicking as much is that that division is so bad that they might still win it. So there are some other teams, Sarah. The Panthers, Falcons, I don't think either of us had big expectations nope. for them. The Texans, we didn't have big expectations for. But the Colts and Texans are both 0-1-1. and uh, Right. Are, are you at a, a, a panic level for the Colts at this point? It's the same thing where, in theory, they could still win the division, but it's looked terrible. So I'm panicking based on the outcomes of the games, but not on the possibility that they could still turn things around. I totally agree. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Get renter's insurance to protect the things that make your place a home, including coverage for theft or damage. Visit Progressive.com. All right, for all of this conversation, we're going to go back to the Bills. Just how good has Buffalo been in their first two games this season? Our next guest will give us historical perspective. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Be a fart. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Everybody, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. You can always hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. We just asked you as we were doing our own exercise of patience or panic for the 0-2 teams. We threw in the 0-1-1 Colts as well who should be panicked by the uh, look of things, if not if not necessarily their division. But uh, wanted to ask our next guest if any of those 0-2 teams should have some patience. It's Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. You can follow him at F-O underscore A Schatz, not Schatz, apparently. Uh, Aaron, let's talk about those teams. We're still holding a little of patience for the Raiders and the Bengals. Is anyone else deserving of patience with the way they've started? Well, I mean, when you combine what we knew about teams going into this year with the way that teams have started, no, those are the two teams that I would say to have some patience about because we thought that the AFC South was pretty down coming into this year. So I'm not too excited by the 0-2 Titans or by the 0-1-1 Colts. Right. I'm, I'm curious because you guys said in your, uh, in your models coming into the season – that there was going to be a lot of parity this year in the NFL. And our stats and info group uh, put out the numbers earlier that 12 games 
so far this season have been decided by three or fewer points. Uh, that's the most through two weeks in NFL history. What did you guys see that, that led you on to that? Just that the best teams were not as good as in years past or didn't look as good as in years past, and the worst teams did not look as bad as in years past. And I would say that now that the season has had two games, that's pretty much still true except for the Buffalo Bills. Mm. The Buffalo Bills mm-hmm. definitely look just outstanding, fantastic, good in every phase of the game. But otherwise, the worst teams do not look as bad as the bad teams in past years, and the best teams don't look as good as the good teams of past years. It's so true. I was actually thinking about your predictions on Football Outsiders last night as I was watching the Bills and imagining a graph in my head where it was like me as a child with the height charts where they're like, here's normal children and you're up here. That's the Bills. Uh, that's that's how I was imagining it in my head. Aaron Schatz, Football Outsiders, is with us here. We've been talking about... Um, uh, Trevor Lawrence and you know specifically that division is so terrible that there might be a lot more success for some not so great teams or taking a step forward up until this week I hadn't seen much from him as a professional to to ensure that the expectations we had for him might come true how much stock can we put in what we just saw as a big step forward in terms of who he could be for the Jags or as a professional football player for any team I think you want to put a lot of stock in it because the fact is what we knew about Trevor Lawrence coming into the league was that pretty much everybody felt he was the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. And we know that the coaching he got last year was awful. Mm. So probably we're going to put a lot of weight on how he performed in the early part of this year. Like now that he's getting normal coaching and he's got an improved receiving group because last year DJ Chark got injured and other people weren't that good. Uh, what is he going to do? And what he did this week was fantastic. I mean, you know, the defense was even better. The Colts offense was just totally shut down this week. But uh, Lawrence was exciting, and I think you've seen growth, and I think that that can give us promise for the future. Stick with the Colts for a second. Uh, Two-part here. What's wrong, and can it be fixed? I mean, Matt Ryan looks like he's toast, so that's the first problem. And I don't know if that can be fixed because if he is, you know, if he ages normally and not on the Tom Brady plan, then I don't know how you fix that. Uh, I mean, look, obviously they were missing important parts. They were missing their top two wide receivers. They're missing Shaquille Leonard, who's the heart of their defense. But they got stomped, stomped by Jacksonville, just absolutely destroyed. And teams that get destroyed like that early in the season very rarely turn it around to be playoff teams. It really looks like this whole rent-a-quarterback-every-year thing that they've been doing has kind of reached its end point. The offensive line isn't as good as it used to be other than Quentin Nelson. The defense has holes in it, and and it's just it didn't come together this year like it was supposed to. Mm. We're talking to Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Speaking of uh, toast, is Russ cooked, or do we need to wait and see how much Nathaniel Hackett's decision-making and just a new team, new weapons, has affected how he looks? Yeah, I think we want to wait a little bit. The fact is, when you break down the play-by-play, we actually have Denver as a number nine pass offense in the league through two weeks. I know it doesn't seem like they are, but when you look at the play-by-play, the, the passing has been good. Cortland Sutton has been good, right? I mean, he dealt with the fact that he lost Tim Patrick, and Judy got injured this week. and But he, he's been good. It's just the play calling and the, the timeouts and 
all kinds of weird. Hackett has made a lot of very strange decisions. And I also think that the Denver defense has not been what people – well, actually, no, it's been pretty good. The Denver defense is pretty good. They've had special teams problems. That's been more of the issue. When you look at – because I think so often with week one, we forgive it as it's week one, right? And a lot of starters didn't play in the preseason. What did you see in week two that really surprised you based on what you saw in week one? Well, I mean, Jacksonville was fantastic, and that was a surprise, I think. Detroit's defense playing very well against Washington, I think, was a surprise. Obviously, what Miami did on offense, because Miami did not do that to the New England Patriots, and I don't Mm. think New England has a particularly good defense. So I didn't expect Miami to do that to the Baltimore Ravens. And then the weirdest thing through two weeks is either – the fact that the Ravens have the best pass offense in the league and the worst run offense, or the fact that the Tampa Bay offense has been terrible and they've been carried by their defense through two wins, which is really strange because I don't know if you know about this Tom Brady guy, (laughs) but he was considered to be unkillable, uh, and he's having some problems this year. Injuries obviously play a large part in the problems that Brady's had doesn't help to lose Mike Evans, and now they bring in Beasley. We'll see if they immediately activate him and get anything from him. They certainly had to make do with some other dudes stepping up because of the injuries and the guys that weren't available. Um, let's leave it open to you. What surprised you most through the first two weeks of the season that, you know, you keep mentioning what we thought coming into this season. What hasn't panned out the way you expected? Uh, the Rams struggling and they really weren't i mean they barely beat atlanta this week so Mm. they got clobbered by buffalo the week before i mean obviously like everyone else i'm surprised by the bengals the bengals are the last place offense in the league by our efficiency Mm. numbers i mean i their offensive line was supposed to be improved certainly the wide receivers are doing their part they've still been good burrow is just he, he takes too many sacks and plies, tries to play hero ball too much. He leaves the pocket like almost immediately, like he feels the pressure before it's there. The sack thing is a lot about him, not the offensive line, and that's going to be a problem going forward if he can't fix that. Seven games have been won by teams trailing by 10 points in the second half. That's the most Ooh. ever through two weeks. Are you seeing a trend that explains why so many teams are capable of big comebacks? Yeah, just offensive levels around the league continue to go up pretty much year after year. The stronger offense gets compared to defense, the more likely teams are going to be able to come back because they have the offenses to come back from large depth. And that's uh, a reverse of what we usually see early on in seasons, right, where the defenses tend to be stronger because they aren't having to learn chemistry and memorize as much. They're just making plays. Well, I mean, the the, uh, the balance to that is that the weather favors the offense more in the mm. early part of the season, whereas the weather favors the defense more in the late part of the season. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, are you worried about the Raiders? Fitz is scared to ask. <laughs> I mean, I thought coming into the season that they were a little bit above average, and I think now, you know, they're a little bit above average. They, you know, they haven't been through two games, but you're not going to lose games on a fumble in overtime, right? You would feel a lot differently if Hunter Renfro had not fumbled in overtime and they kicked that field goal. They win the game, they're one and one, and you're like, all right, they're one and one, that's fine. I mean, a lot of those close games really change the way we look at things. Imagine yeah. if uh, Cincinnati had gotten one of those field goals and they uh, or extra point and had beaten Dallas, and then they'd be one and one, and you'd be like, uh, not Dallas, beating Pittsburgh, and they'd be one and one, and you'd be like, 
all right, yeah, I guess Burrow's taking a lot of sacks, but it's going to be okay in the long run. So mm-hmm. those close games have really influenced how we feel about teams. Can Couldn't I just agree tell you more. how good one and one would feel right now? One and one would just be so nice. Hey, guess who's one and one fits? Oh, the, the Bears. Chicago Bears! Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're certainly making a lot of decisions about teams a little bit early this year based on what I think is yet to come, but your help always makes our decision-making better. Thanks so much for the time, Aaron. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Thanks, You Aaron. can follow him at FO underscore A Shots from Football Outsiders. It's Spain and Fitz coming up. Speaking of the Bears, Justin Fields said something that's riled up a whole bunch of people. You'll get our take on it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Old man forgets password, throws technology. Happens all the time, but sometimes millions of people watch it on TV. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Yes, Tom Brady, uh, we all saw the clip of him throwing the Microsoft Surface tablet. He was on his Let's Go podcast and uh, alleged that it was because he forgot the password. You know, mm. I forgot the password and I couldn't log in. So those things can be frustrating as, <laughs> as, as we realize with time. So I'm trying to make sure I don't throw my arm out when I throw it. But I was pretty pissed yesterday. You know, I got to get the perfect tablet slam, which I haven't got yet. So tune in next week to see if it happens. Okay. We all saw the video, Tom. Didn't look like you made an effort to put a password in of any kind. You were just mad. You threw the tablet. And then you got in a fight and you made your boy uh, come help you because presumably uh, osteoporosis is real and he has stronger bones because he's younger. Uh, Fitz, the throwing of the tablet had me thinking about one of our favorite new segments, Throwing a Fitz. Jason Fitz has something on his mind. They're stuck in mediocre irrelevance. And he needs to get it off his chest. I have a massive problem with the same coaches that get paid and have unlimited cash available to their staffs. Talking about equality in college football is the reason that young college football players can't be paid. It's time for throwing a Fitz on Spain and Fitz. All right, take it away, Fitz. Well, uh, this one's you. You get to go. I'm tagging oh, you in. I'm this first. Is, oh, oh, this is excellent. first for you, right? All right. Well, let's play a little sound to help us out with what I have to rant about today. So Justin Fields, quarterback of the Bears, young, impressionable mind who's just doing his best, uh, getting another shot with a new head coach in front office and and uh, not a ton of weapons, but he's doing his best. Uh, after the loss to the Packers, a longtime quote-unquote rivalry that isn't much of one anymore because the Bears stink so bad, he was asked this and responded thus. Does losing against this team, is it... Does it sting more because of the rivalry and you know how much Bears fans want to win this game? Yeah. I mean, it, it hurts more in the locker room than the Bears fans. I mean, because at the end of the day, they're not putting in any work. Um, I see the guys in the locker room every day. I see how much work they put in. So um, just coming out with a disappointing loss like this, um, you know, it hurts. But, uh, you know, we just got to respond. Okay. So people are mad at Justin in part because they are either ignoring the context that he was asked specifically a question that brought up the fans and said, does it hurt especially because of how much the fans don't like to lose these games? And then he offered up, oh, it hurts even more for us for all of the obvious reasons, but also because they are mischaracterizing what he said as some sort of diss. For example, Keyshawn Johnson, while trying to defend Justin Fields, said this on KJ and Max. You never want to attack the fans, attack. no matter what city you're in at all. You don't want to ever say anything disparaging, disparaging. toward fans unless they do something to you. I don't think if he had a do-over that 
he would make the same mistake again. Mistake. Right. Uh, a little more thoughtful. So, so I'm I'm just looking at it and saying, you know what? I'm willing to give him a pass because it's a learning learning mm. lesson. He didn't mean any harm by it at harm. all. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I mean, I don't think he meant any harm by it. And he'll mm. learn from it. Okay. Okay. So again, let's just have a little thought experiment here. Justin Fields said the game outcome hurts more to the players. Let's consider why. Well, let's see. Football is their life's work, their paycheck, their reputation, their legacy. It dictates their future earnings. It's physically a toll on their bodies and their brain, their future cognitive ability. It affects their relationships with teammates, with fans, with media, with family. And it affects the future of their lives after what could be two or three year careers or longer. On the fan side, it hurts because it's sad, because you're dedicated, because you care about the team, and because your escape or your getaway from everyday life is not as fun when they lose. If you don't agree that it affects players more to lose than fans, I can't have this discussion with you. But let's say you at least agree on that part. But you think that he should placate sensitivity of fans, ignorance of fans, a denial of context by fans. Because we're used to seeing the old, we couldn't have done it without you. Oh, we need to win because we care about what it means to fans. BS. The cliches that athletes are expected to offer up because fans are so darn sensitive. Justin doesn't understand how sad I am. Toughen up. It is so clear why this would affect players more, and they are putting the work in. It doesn't matter if you're buying tickets or gambling on the game or if it makes you sad or if you spend your free time or if you spend your hard-earned money on it. It's still just a choice to watch the games. It's not your job, your life's work, your earning, your physical ability, etc., and so on and so on. So, Fitz, the argument that Justin Fields should have lied and spoken in cliches to avoid the sensitivity of fans, I'm done with that. We got to stop just agreeing that ignorance is okay, that sensitivity in the face of the facts is okay, and expect people to change their behaviors for fans who have zero perspective. Yeah, but at the same time, Sarah, where I push back is he didn't need to say it. I mean, the question to him was, does this hurt more, uh, given how much fans care about this rivalry, does it hurt more? All he had to say is, yeah, of course, losing to the Packers hurts more. Why go into the fact that you put your livelihood on the line and that, that it's everything that you do every single day. Like, why push the unnecessary button that doesn't need to be pushed? Like, if, if you walk in and, and, you know, if anybody's ever been in a relationship and your significant other walks in and says, do you like this dress? I can say no, or I can say no, and it kind of makes you look fat. Like, that's going to be a totally different response, whether you're right or you're wrong. So why put yourself in that predicament? Justin Fields has gone through enough media training through Ohio State to know how to handle these sorts of situations. I don't know why you even step into the quicksand that you don't need to step into by involving the answer in a way that, that at the very least is condescending to the fans. Why is it condescending? Because the the way he says it, I mean, in it, what again, way? It, we'll go back and play play the audio of what he, he said. said they he don't said, put in the work. I'm in the locker room every day, and I see yeah, my guys so putting why, in the work. Why do you need to put that in? Why, why does it matter? Why is that, that condescending? What is not well, true about if, that, or in any way disparaging? The difference between saying your dress makes you look fat and the players aren't working at football and then on the field. 
One of them is true. Another one is me. Truth, truth doesn't matter to the tone of the answer. I mean, at some point, like I took a, a class, a Myers-Briggs class years ago on communication. And the first thing they teach you when you communicate in a team is that your job in communication is to communicate to the person you're communicating to in a way that translates the answer so that they'll understand what you're trying to say. I completely agree so, with that, Fitz. But our job is communicators. His job is football. And what he said was true. So if you want to say, hey, it would have been easier on him if he said something different i'll give that to you but disparaging mean wrong incorrect terrible all the reactions that people are having to this are reactions based on the flawed system that we've set up whereby we expect people to lie or present cliches for the sensitivity of fans who don't have perspective instead let's have conversations about it let's ask and demand that people care about context and not like why are, and if this is supposed to be something that's joyful for you why are you going out of your way to create something that isn't there by saying he's being mean or disrespectful or disparaging when that's not the case but, everyone but agrees it, that what he said is true it, but it doesn't matter if it's like he added extra context that wasn't necessary i don't want to well, live in a world where it doesn't matter if it's true of it's. course it, but that is the world we live in like a you can't change the fact that the the, the fans are going to see this the way they're going to see this like that's just an inevitability but the question he was asked was not uh, it had nothing to do with does this hurt you guys as much as it hurts fans there was no comparison in there though the question clearly was that's where does this hurt went. more well, he that's... took an inference that the players don't care about it as much as the fans and he decided to add extra context that was unnecessary to the answer if well, he had simply said losing to the packers hurts more then he's answered the question when he says well you know and and frankly it hurts players more than it hurts fans why are you even throwing that in like, i mean it, i agree with point. you that it's not necessary but clearly that's where his brain went when the reporter asked him to address address the loss in the context of fans' feelings. And though his brain says, well, yeah, fans' feelings, how about ours? Man, it really sucks when you're putting in the work and you lose. I guess my question is, why are you critical of fields and not critical of fans for being too sensitive, having zero fans priorities and perspective? for doing nothing. Like, if I'm a fan... Wait a minute, why is it a stray? Because you just you just sat there and said that my feelings are completely unnecessary. That's not what process. he said. But that is not what he said. But just like he took a question and put his own spin on it, when you hear that answer, you're going to put your own no. spin on it too. That's no. human nature to that. That's like, ridiculous. That it is. That's ridiculous. That, he said nothing about not respecting the fans' feelings. He, no, but he, he made it very clear that that however fans feel, they players that he feel feels more worse. because they put in the worst. No, that, that he feels worse. Word. Again, that's it, true. If that's what he's trying to say, then you can't deny that he could have said it in a cleaner way that would have made it easier. I, I'm so frustrated right now that we're, uh barf. Okay, fart is what I should have said. Bill Barnwell's going to join us next. Be a fart. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. 